We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Good to follow along. It's always good to test what I have to say to make sure that I'm teaching you this word that's here. Because today is really, uh, to me, it's an awesome, awesome study that we have before us. You know, because uh, um, last week we talked about the fact that um, when Paul went to Thessalonica, that people really got saved. He was so jazzed. You know, and when you see someone, you know, really get saved. And I'm not talking about when someone goes forward. I'm not talking about when someone goes to church. I'm not talking about when they pray that prayer. Although those, those are the starting points and, and there are possibilities there. Just because someone goes to church or prays the prayer or goes forward, you guys know as well as I do that that does not mean they are born again. It doesn't mean that they're really saved. And so, you know, when you begin to see fruit in their life and when you begin to see, you know, the evidence of salvation, then that, that right there, man, it just rejoices your heart. And so Paul was expressing that gratitude last week over the fact that, the, that when he went to this city and preached the gospel, people really got saved. And, and then what ends up happening, however, is that when a person does get saved, now they have to grow. It's kind of like a baby. Uh, not that we're trying to be offensive in any way, but when you first get saved, you're a baby Christian. And what ends up happening is that you got to learn. You got to learn how to walk. You got to learn how to talk. You got to learn how to socialize. You got to learn how to go forward and grow up. But what happens a lot of times, you guys, is that people get saved, but they never grow. They never really grow up into maturity. And so that's kind of what this chapter is about. And he's going to talk about a guy who has been given a stewardship with the gospel. He's going to be talking about a mom who nurses her children and eventually weans them to the point now where then he talks about a father who teaches his children how to walk. And that's what we want, man. We want you guys to be able to walk like God. You know, that when someone looks at you, they say, wow, they're so different. What is it about them? And then they come to realize it's because you are like Jesus. You're walking like Jesus. That's what this world needs. They don't need like religious people. They don't need, you know, people who would just demean them or condemn them or misrepresent Christ. They they need to see people like Jesus. And when they see people who are walking like Jesus, then what you'll discover is that those people really are simply walking with Jesus. That's why they are the way they are. You guys know this world is hurting. You guys know this world is just in a rapid fashion, slipping away from God. They don't know the Bible. They don't go to church. They don't know the Bible stories. They're addicted to drugs. They're caught up in gangs. They're caught up in violence. They're distracted with their iPods and their iPhones and social media and technology and all these things that the world is just sweeping them away with. And, you know, we don't have any other answer but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... You know, how can we make a difference? And the answer is um, by what we're going to see today. That the Lord would give all of us like a shepherd's heart, like a, a pastor's heart, and especially those guys that are up in leadership, like myself. This right here is very applicable. If you're here today and you want to be a pastor, you want to be a leader, 
then listen up to what Paul has to say here in this chapter. Beginning in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our, our coming to you was not in vain. You know, when we share the gospel with a loved one, a friend, or maybe out there on the mission field, you know, you share the gospel, you know, what do we want? We want them, you know, to come to the Lord. We want the gospel to fall on good ground. We want them to get saved and then built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Paul went to Thessalonica, and on every missions trip, this is exactly what he wanted he didn't want to just go out and nothing happened. He didn't want to share the gospel in vain or in vanity. You know, I remember when we first started the church here in Almani, there was nothing, there was nothing but a burden. Nothing but a burden for people. And so, you know, I was allowed to go out once a week and walk the streets of Almani and start sharing the gospel with people. That's all we had. And just to know that that, was not in vain. When I see the work the Lord is beginning to do, it just, man, it just blows you away. That's what Paul was saying. When we went to you, you guys know, he says there in verse 1, that it was not in vain. It was a true work of God established in the city. They knew it and Paul knew it. Remember we studied last week how blessed Paul was because they were really saved as a result of them coming. And remember, it wasn't just them coming, it was the gospel coming. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you. So it wasn't just, hey, the spiritual guy showed up. It wasn't just, hey, the Christians showed up. It was the gospel came. The gospel of Jesus Christ that, you know, even though we're all messed up, even though, like, when I look at myself in the mirror and when I see who I really am, I realize that I fall short. I realize really my wretchedness and my weakness, even my wickedness. And, you know, I, I just, man, I, I realize, you know, who I am apart from God and that I'm in big trouble. But then I realize this, that although I'm a sinner and I've done all these crazy things, that there is life. There is forgiveness for me. There is freedom. There is a way, and it's so, then it should blow us away, that someone like me can go to heaven. That someone like me, someone like you, could be accepted in the beloved. That's the gospel. You know, because even though we've sinned and we separate ourselves from God, all of us here, don't let the devil beat you up with that. Jesus died for you. He died on a cross because he loves you. And all you got to do is just say, Lord, I'm willing to turn from my sin. Help me. And Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And when you do that, your name is written in the book of life. God comes in. He lives inside of you. He sets you free. He forgives you of all your sins, past, present, and future. You know, there is power in that and so that you can know that when you die, you know, you won't go to hell, but you will go to heaven. You see, that's the gospel. And Paul said when we went to Thessalonica with that simple message, when our gospel came to you, when we came to you, you got saved. And he says it's so beautiful to know that it wasn't in vain 
And in our study today, we learn about them coming and their calling and their caring. It's, a, it's so cool. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn so much about these things that some people even include First Thessalonians in the, in the pastoral epistles. Uh, some we see in looking at this see that as leadership lessons. And what they are is their characteristics of a Christian who is called to be a pastor. And of course, it's applicable to all of us. You know, one thing's for sure. If you're here today and you want to share the Lord, if you're here today and you're not just a, a Christian who has a bumper sticker, you're not just a Christian who, you know, you goes to work and, and you're a good person. No, you're a Christian who speaks the name of Jesus to people. If you're one of those types of Christians that you share the gospel because you love people and you want them to be saved, then understand this, that you will experience tremendous opposition. And that's what we see happened to Paul. Again, look at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our, our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul here says, you know, even after we suffered, you know, before we were spitefully treated at Philippi, and when you study Paul's journey, now he's in Thessalonica, but prior to that he was 100 miles away in Philippi. And when he was in the city of Philippi, man, you know, he was preaching the gospel, God was doing a work, and then one day there was this girl that was following him. She was possessed by a demon. So Paul looked at her and he said, you know, I deliver you in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, God set her free. And there was just that that power that Paul had. There are so many people today that are demon-possessed. They are uh, possessed by demons. They're walking the streets. They're homeless. They're addicted to drugs. There are so many people who are demon-oppressed today. And what we need to do is develop a walk and a power and anointing our life that we can deal with these demons. Paul was one of those guys. He cast out the demon. And as a result of that, the the people that she used to work for, because she was kind of like these fortune tellers, you know, the palm readers, the, the guys that are in tune or the girls that are in tune with demons, she was making them money, and so they were upset with that. What they did was they had him arrested, they threw him in jail, they beat him, they whipped him, and then they put him in the pit of the prison. That's where he was in Philippi, Okay. So eventually he got out because he was a Roman citizen. And so, you know, he, he limps out of prison. He goes to the next city. Let me ask you a question. If that were you, if you knew that if you preached the gospel, you were going to get thrashed, beat, whipped, and put in the pit of prison, would you still preach? You see, Paul, what we're going to see here, he's going to share, this is our life. You don't want hard times? You don't want difficulties? Okay, then that's fine. You can live your nominal Christian life. But I tell you what, when you are sold out and surrendered and you speak the name of Jesus to people and there's your friend and they're addicted to crystal meth and there's your other friend and their marriage is on the rocks and, and there's this person over here you come in contact with and you know they're all beat up and they're on their way to hell, but you speak Jesus to them because you know he's the only answer, then what ends up happening is you're going to get hit hard. And Paul said, you know what, when we came to you, even though we went through what we went through in Philippi, we didn't zip the lip for a split second. 
we were bold in our proclamation of the gospel. And that's what we read right here. You know, they survived there, but then they entered into this conflict. Again, there in verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God, but he says we did it in much conflict. The Greek word translated conflict is often used in literature in the setting of athletics. You know, it's that type of intense battle, you know, like a real real crazy battle like maybe i don't know this is probably not a good example but you know how the angels they did the 19 inning game the other day you know and they're going back and forth and it gets intense and next thing you know albert pools comes up and the what is it bottom of the 19th he hits a walk-off home run you're like yes victory 19 innings way too long right but then you're probably saying man that's baseball come on (laughs) What type of battle is baseball? Well, I don't know. Okay, you get into football. You know what type of game I'm talking about where it's just, you know, it's snowing and and you are dying, you're aching and you're fighting for the victory. Or maybe you can use a boxing analogy, maybe like a Rocky, Rocky II, maybe that one especially, you know. Yo, Adrian, I did it. You know, that type of thing. And you're like, you know, that type of athletic contention or maybe uh, for those of you who like mixed martial arts, you can go online if you want to. I probably wouldn't suggest this, but, you know, go online and you can look at the 10 worst battles in MMA history. They have them on YouTube. And yet that's what I'm talking about. You guys know how violent that is. You guys, I know how, how vicious that is. That is what's taking place in our life spiritually if we're for the Lord. And Paul says that that was what we were experiencing. We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in, in much conflict and that type of contention. You know, Paul as a pastor, he was, he was called. He was called. He was faithful. He wasn't afraid to suffer. He wasn't afraid to experience, you know, rejection or or being ostracized. He was not afraid to die. And that's got to be in our hearts. He didn't shut up. He didn't flee. He didn't even flinch from the possible pain that it would bring to him if he was a true witness. Why? Because these guys were in it for the right reasons. And now we're going to see here, there's no doubt that um, after they left Thessalonica, remember the Jews were upset with them. You know, they had to flee and run away. Now these were guys that were formerly going to the synagogue, the God-fearers. Okay, now they're Christians. And so the Jewish, the, the guys that came to them, and they, there's no doubt in my mind that what had happened was, because one of the ways the enemy talks, is that he comes against the leaders And there's no doubt that they began to talk smack about Paul, about the leaders, about Silas, about Timothy. You know, because the way the enemy works is that if he can get you to turn against your leaders, if he can get you maybe even to slow down or stop in your prayers for them, or maybe even come against them, then he knows he's disrupted the structure of the church even within your own life. And that's what, what they were trying to do with Paul and some of these guys. They were trying to come against Paul and accuse him of things. And that's why he takes some time to remind them of a few things about the integrity of their ministry. 
And what we see here is there's lessons for us as leaders. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And I heard a story about a uh, some guys that were like Christian ministers supposedly and in order to raise money what they did was they went around and they asked like the demographics of the city what kind of stirred up compassion within this community and believe it or not I know this sounds weird but they found out that in one community kids in wheelchairs would stir up compassion so what they did was they manipulated things and they falsified information in order to get to get money from the, the community, and they had little kids in wheelchairs. Or, in this case over here, it was a different scenario, things that stirred up compassion. And, and when they got found out, when they got found out that these Christian leaders were misrepresenting God and taking these funds and allocating for them for their own purposes, it did tremendous damage to the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, we live in a world today where there are many that are like that. And sometimes we wonder, man, who can we trust? We live in such a crazy world. And, and you know, there's always those, those, those lies and those liars and accusations. And we have to sift through things. And as leaders even, we have to guard our own heart that we are in it for the right reason. Paul said, when we were there, the motive of our message, the purpose of our preaching was not... It, it, of evil error. It was not done wickedly or out of impurity or, or in trickery. The, the Greek word right there is like putting bait on a, on a fishing hook. That's not why we did it. On the contrary, we have been, he says, approved by God. He said, man, God actually chose us. That's what he says right there, and entrusted us with the gospel. You know, and when you think about that, I mean, that's the thing that we have to understand is the Lord chooses whom he uses. And so they speak and so they preached and so they taught. And he says right here, you know, we speak, look at verse 4, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And that's one of the ways you can kind of tell whether or not a person is real. You know, no offense, you guys, we love you and we love all people but we do not preach to please you. We don't. That's not our agenda. We preach to please God. We don't preach to sell CDs. We don't preach so they say, hey, great message. We preach to please God. Who it says right here not only tests our words, but notice it says it tests our hearts. Okay, so you gave a right message. It was theologically accurate. But let me ask you a question, Manny. Why did you do it? See, God tests our lips, God tests our lives, God tests our hearts. You know, as a preacher or a teacher, it's important to know that to a certain extent, we do take into consideration the people that we're speaking to. And so if it's the men's group, we talk to them, maybe where they're at, or the ladies. Um, maybe, you know, the choir is going to be a different message rather than the youth or things like that, you know, because we want to speak the word of God to you in a relevant manner. But we do not preach and teach to please them. We must do this so that when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter if I got a pat on the back or even if I felt good about the message, 
so that when it's all said and done, one day when I stand before God, he would be pleased. So we guard ourselves from error. We guard ourselves from impure motives or trickery. Our job is not to win a popularity contest or to grow a big church or to see how many people I can get to like me or the message. That's not our agenda. Our job is to preach this word right here that God has assigned me to preach. And some people, they say, well, Manny, we want you to talk more about grace and more about heaven. And there are those who say, no, Manny, we want you to talk more about sin and more about hell. And I might have the inclination to do one or the other, but that doesn't matter. My, my job is to teach this text that God gave me. That's why when you go to churches, make sure they're teaching you the word, that you bring your Bibles, that he's got his Bibles, that he's got it open, and he's pulling from what God has called him to preach. Because a lot of times they don't do that. They might read it, but then they talk about you know, the type of week they had or whatever, you know? No. I believe God's word is what God has called us to preach. Tragically, there are many today who believe that tickling the ears of the congregation by making them laugh or telling them what they want to hear is our obligation. You know, and we got to teach to please God, you guys. God will test the message and God will test the motives of the message. He hears the words of my lips and he knows the beat of my heart. That's why it's good to pray. Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Paul says, you guys know that's how we were. He says right there, there was no impurity, no trickery. And then he says something interesting, no flattery. Look at verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Now, i got to make sure I make this clear to you guys because um, it can go to the extreme where someone might think, well, then, you know, I can't tell him that I like the message or whatever. Or I can't, you know, give him a compliment, say, hey, your shirt's nice because, you know, then he's thinking I'm trying to flatter him or whatever. You know, I can't look at someone or I can't tell you you're a beautiful congregation. Thank you for the way that you stepped up and you gave for Justin Romo. I can do that. We can give compliments. We can thank God for the things that people have done. But the thing is, is that we always have to check our motives. And, and if the motive is to, you know, manipulate, it's been said that flattery is not communication, it's manipulation. If our motive for whatever it is, you give that pat on the back or you say something nice, why? Because you want to win them over to your camp and put them in your pocket for your purposes. God sees through all that. If it's a genuine compliment, praise God, we need that. But we don't do this thing called flattery. Flattery is a real ugly thing. It can come from both sides. It can come from the pastor who's trying to flatter in order that he might make his purposes come to pass. We need to be careful. Paul told the Thessalonians, you know we weren't like that. And more importantly, not just you know, God knows. God sees. We read that here. Look again in verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak for covetousness. He says, God is witness. And I would venture to say that many of us here have been duped by flattery. And so be careful. You know, you can, it's like perfume. You can sniff it, but don't swallow it, okay? (laughs) 
And you just take it to the Lord, man. That's what we got to do. But Paul says, you know what? You guys know I wasn't like that. Most importantly, God's my witness. God knows I'm not like that. When I gave you a compliment, when I said something nice about you, it's because I love you and I meant it. And I won't say anything for any other reason. See, and that's the way Paul said, that's the way, that's the way we, we roll. That's the way we ministered. You know, and, and, and you know that many times what ends up happening, these guys that are maybe, you know, in positions and preaching and they're on TV, they flatter for finances. I'll tell you what, you guys, and if I could just say this, you know, I, there's a lot, of, a lot of people that will give money to those televangelists, unfortunately, who are asking for money. And they're, you know, their motive for giving, a lot of times they're sincere, but man, they need to be so careful. You guys, we need to be so careful in those areas. The NLT says it this way, we were not pretending to be your friends so you would give us money. And that was probably, again, one of the accusations that they were saying about Paul. They said, oh, that Paul guy, you know, he came over here and he preaches a new gospel. He tells you that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King and Jesus is returning. Oh, he's just in it for the money. And Paul said, no, no way. I am not in this for the money. You know, he goes on. And today we turn on the TV and, and some of these guys, they don't even try to cover it up. Right here it says a cloak for covetousness. I mean, some of the guys nowadays, have you guys seen them on TV? Have you seen them? They don't try to cover it up, huh? As a matter of fact, they try to flaunt it. Check out my watch. <laughs> Check out my suit. Check out my car. Right? Check out my house. Check out my lifestyle. Some of the guys, they don't try to cover it up. But a lot of guys, they do. They're unseen by men, maybe, but they are naked before God. And they are in it. They are in the ministry for the money. And there are a lot of guys like that. And maybe they're not in it to get rich. Maybe they are. It doesn't matter. Some guys, bottom line, are in it for a paycheck. They don't see it as ministry. They see it as work. They count their hours. It's not sacrifice. It's, you know, salary. You know, and we have to guard ourselves against those things. Paul says we weren't in it for the money. There was no form of flattery. This is real ministry. We really want to serve the Lord. We love God. He's called us. We love you. We want you to go to heaven. We want you to be blessed on earth. See, and that's why we're here. You know, but what we find is that there's a lot of people out there. They're they're in it for the gold. Some are in it for the glory. Look at verse six. He says, "Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children." You know, and, and believe it or not, there are some that, that, that they want that glory. They want their name in the, in the bulletin. They want their name in the newspaper. They want the place on the platform. They're in it for the glory. You know what? Don't put yourself there. If the Lord puts you there, praise God. But if that's the motive of our heart, 
unseen by men, naked before God's eyes. Paul says, you know what, they might be saying this about us, and they're saying we're in it for the money, they're saying we're in it for the glory. You know, they're saying we're in it with error, and they're saying it we're in it with impure, impure motives. Paul says, i got to tell you, that's not why we're there. Paul says, we were not interested in that, not from you or anyone else, even though we could have used our authority as apostles, and that would have been like theologically correct. We were not demanding. You know, I'll tell you guys this. I remember talking to one couple, and they went to a church. It's called the LA Church of Christ. Stay away from Church of Christ if it has a city before it like the Boston Church of Christ or the LA Church of Christ. The Church of Christ, the, some of those are good, but when they put a city in front of it, run away as fast as you can, okay? So anyways, this couple was there and they were in the church and what ended up happening was uh, after service, someone went running after them. So imagine yourself, you're going out to your car, you're like, hey, so let's go to In-N-Out. All right, baby, I'm down. You're going to go to In-N-Out, right? And then someone comes chasing after you and says, hey, hey, wait, wait, you can't leave yet. And they got their clipboard in their hand, right? And they say, hey, we noticed that you are not giving what you're supposed to give. And so they're like, what? <laughs> now, I know this couple, and I know them. They're generous, and they give to the Lord. But they will not be manipulated by man. They give to the Lord generously and they love God and His work and His people and they give to God, but they let the Lord lead them. And what Paul was saying is that when we, when we came to Thessalonica, you know, I probably could have like demanded things from you as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now take this into consideration. It's not just an apostle with a small a. He's one of the twelve. But he said, I didn't do that. I, that's not the way we operate. That's not the way we minister. You know, sometimes people tell me, they say, hey, Manny, you need to be like harsher. You need to be, you need to be like firm. You need to go get them. And did you see what they did? And, and you know, I, and I take that to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, am I too soft? But then I read my Bible and I read this over and over and over again about pastors. They're called to be gentle. Gentle. What does that mean to you? Not harsh. And you take everything to prayer. Sometimes you have to confront people. You deal with situations the best that you can. But you know what? Overall, that has to be the description of our life. He said, you know, when we came to you, we didn't like throw our authority around and demand things from you. He says there in verse 7, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Paul says, we didn't dominate you. We, we were gentle. This is the way ministers need to minister you see, when Christians first get saved, they're baby Christians, and they need someone to nurse them, uh, to wean them, to love them, to hold them, to teach them, you know, how to interact, how to listen, how to talk, how to be active, how to crawl, and then eventually walk. This is our ministry. You know, we want you to get saved, and then we want you to learn and to grow. They say the first two years of a, of a child's life physically are, are huge, that will, that will just... 
It will be with them. It will form them for the rest of their life. And that bonding with mom and dad and the times, those early stages are huge. The same is true, I think, in the Christian life, although God is bigger than that. When a person gets saved and they become a baby Christian, you know, may God use our church to nurse them, to be gentle with them, to give them the milk of the word. You know, I remember I was so blessed when my wife chose to nurse our children for a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of the big reasons is that it's a lot less expensive than formula, right? <laughs> formula, oh man, that's crazy. And then they say that the milk, mom's milk, oh, it's so good. And to me that makes sense because um, she's made by God, you know, to feed her, her babies. And so, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, we do that with our kids. Another reason I think that I liked the fact that Shelly nursed the kids is that in the middle of the night, I said, hey, baby, they're calling you, you know. <laughs> and so that was another advantage. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, what we do, Paul said, we were gentle among you. My wife, what she would do is during the day she would grub, right? She would eat her meat, right? But then what she would do is she would nurse and give them milk. That's kind of the way it is. You know, you give to a baby Christian, you, you don't give them meat. You don't give them necessarily the meat in the beginning stages. You carefully, you hold them close to your heart and you give them the milk of God's word so that they would grow. See, Paul says, that's the way we were. We were gentle among you. Pastors, teachers, leaders, Christians, we need to be gentle with all believers and especially for new believers. You know, we see 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You see, this is a beautiful picture of a minister and then it even goes deeper. Look at verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. One translation says, we loved you so much. We, were, we loved you so much that we were happy to share with you not only the message of the gospel, but even the makeup of our lives. See, I, I like the way we read this, and what we find, you guys, is that the ministry is much more like when you go to work and I go to work. I remember when I used to work at Vons, I used to clock in, you know, 8 o'clock, boom, it's time to start. And then I used to love it when I clocked out, you know. I was like, see you later, potato, pa potato table, you know, <laughs> maybe in a few days, you know, and, and I go and, and then there was absolutely, there was no connection other than the fact that we shopped at Vons because I figured we better support the place that I work at, right? But there was no connection. But when you become a minister, when you understand the calling of your life within the church of Jesus Christ, that calling, it is your life. And what ends up happening is you you give your life. Now you still have your priorities. First, my relationship with God. Then my family. Then the ministry. But what we got to understand is that a lot of times those things are intertwined. And Paul said as a minister, you know, we gave you the gospel and we gave you our life. 
Well, Henry could tell you, people in the ministry could tell you, it's our life. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's every day. Every day. There's no dichotomy. It's our life. When it's a true minister, the other one, what does he do? You know, they're like the hireling. In John chapter 10, he he doesn't care for the sheep because he's just in it for the money. And when the wolf comes, he flees. Why? Because he's just a hireling. See, God doesn't want us to be that way. And Paul said, you know, when, when, you, when, we, when you came and, and we started getting to know you, he says, you became dear to us. And that tells me a lot of things. Number one, it's not just a generic love. It's not an impersonal love. It's like, I got to know you. Oh, okay, your name is, and you get to know their name, and you learn how long they've been married, and you find out about their kids and, and where they work at. And, and, and to me, when it comes to the ministry, like, you know, you meet people in church, right? And you're like, oh, I like them. I like them because they're like me. I like them, right? I don't like them. They're weird. <laughs> but then you realize that's not how God is. God loves them and them and them. And so then when you just you get to know them and then you realize you know, the, the one that maybe you're struggling with or you have a problem with the way that they're wired or the way that they rub you the wrong way is God, it's like sandpaper. And sandpaper, you know what it is, right? It rubs against the wood and it takes off those rough edges, right? God's going to use them in your life. And so you become, and then all of a sudden you get to know each other and what ends up happening, they become dear to you. This is a special love. Paul and these guys, they gave their lives. They served ever so sacrificially. Look at verse 9. And he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And so there's a lot here. There's a lot here about being a pastor, I think. There's a lot here about being a leader, even a Christian. One is that we're stewards. A steward means that we've been given something to manage, in this case, the gospel. And so protect the gospel, but preach the gospel. So we're stewards. In one sense, I can say this, we're moms. We're kind of like moms, even you guys. You're like a mother. (laughs) And you nurse those new believers. You be gentle with them. But we're also like fathers. And what we're going to see right here is the father works. The father works. The father's a witness. And then one day the father will teach his children how to walk. See, but the father works. And there were those times where Paul was financially supported by the church. We know the Philippian church actually supported him numerous times. You read in Philippians 4, verse 16, even Thessalonica, you send aid once and again for my necessities. When Paul was in Corinth, other churches supported him financially in order to give him money to minister in that city. We read that in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8. We also know that the Bible clearly teaches that it's not only okay 
but at times it's right and beneficial for the pastors or preachers or staff to be paid where churches are led and able to offer a fair compensation to their servants. Jesus even said in Luke 10, verse 7, uh, the laborer is worthy of his wages. We read the same thing in 1 Timothy 5, 18 in the pastoral letter. And so the idea there is that leaders are feeders, that they take that time to study and pray and make decisions and feed the flock God's word and to rule well, according to 1 Timothy 5.17. So what I'm trying to say is that it's okay for you to pay the pastor. It's biblical. But having said that, there were also times when Paul did not receive remuneration for his servants in the ministry When he was in Ephesus, the whole time he was there, he earned his own way. We read in Acts 20, verse 33 and 34, Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. And although he received some funds from the Philippians, he was led in cities like Thessalonica and elsewhere to, at times, get a job. Paul said, we preached the gospel to you. We didn't want to be a burden to you. We were devout. We were blameless. And the thing is, is I want you to know, we put a roof over our own head. We put clothes on our own back. We put food in our own belly. These hands provided for my own necessities. And there are times when the pastor or the leader of the church, it's okay for him to get a job. I think at the end of the day, what we have to understand is we're led by God and we must not be lazy. You know, like like right here, he says, um, you know, we, we labored and we toiled. I mean, we labored. Look at verse 9. You brethren, you brethren, you know, our labor and toil, how frequently? Night and day. You know, I think about this a lot. Just to share this with you, because you guys are my friends, if you made this your home church, I get to be a co-laborer with you. Pray for me, because I think about this a lot. Lord, you want me to get a job? Tell you what, Lord, I am totally open to that, 100%, because I know It's biblical. If one day you find out, hey, man, he got a job, don't think it's bad. It's biblical. And so we pray about these things. You know, what if you take that money and maybe save up for a building or or whatever? You know, I don't know, but I just want you guys to know what the Bible teaches and that as ministers, we are not in it for the money. I don't know if anybody would hire me. I mean, I'm getting old, man. But they say that if you go to McDonald's, you get free food. Is that true? No, I'm just joking. I don't know. (laughs) But I just want, you know, you guys, for us as a church, everything's open. You know, this is biblical. And it's okay. And we have to be led. We have to be led by the Lord. I tell you what, when I think of of laboring and toiling for the Lord, to me it just brings fear to my heart because I want to make sure, I want to make sure that I am not a lazy leader. The bottom line is the ministry is not for the lazy and we need to labor and we need to toil every single day. It says night and day. And then Paul charges them. Look in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you 
as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, and bottom line is, you're a steward as a pastor, you're a mother as a pastor, you're a father as a pastor. You're going to work hard. You're going to be an example. In other words, a witness. And then you can then you can preach to them. You know, you preach to your kids. It says right there, we, uh, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. If you're wondering whether or not you can charge your kids rent, you can. It says right here, right? I charged you, man. <laughs> no, you know, it means like, and here's the thing, and I'll try to just wrap this up real quick, you guys, because we have to see this the way that a father influences a child this is the way we can influence our, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he uses the word exhorted. And that word right there means to come alongside and to encourage. And then the next word, comforted, it means kind of the same thing, but it gives it more activity. And so primarily the father's job is to encourage the children. Son, with God's help, you can do this. Son, I'm with you, son. I believe in you, son. Let me show you how to do this. What a father does. But then he also charges them. And son, take out the trash. Son, you know, mow the lawn. Son, massage my feet. Whatever it is that, you know, God calls you to do as a parent. But then you begin to charge them. Mijo, these are responsibilities that you have. And as we do that, what ends up happening is God will use you as a steward and as a mom and as a father to do what? Verse 12, that you would walk worthy. You know, with my kids, with my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I mean, it's not just about church attendance. It's not just about, you know, the t-shirts you wear, the bumper sticker you have, or what you say. For my kids, it's, it's a life that they live. I want them to live this amazing life that God has for them. I want it to be, I don't want them just to be talky-talkies. I've told you guys this before, right? I want them to be walkie-talkies. You walk it, you live it. Paul says that's, that's what we wanted for you. And like I shared with you earlier, and we'll close with this, I think really the only way that we're going to be able to you know, walk like Jesus, which is our goal, is to walk with Jesus. And if you don't know the Lord, then that's something that God wants to establish even today. You know, if you're here today and, you know, maybe you find yourself overwhelmed with the weight of your sin or the weight of this world that you live in. Maybe you're here today and you're having you know, marital problems or you're struggling with pornography or you're struggling with depression or you're struggling with some type of drug addiction or you, know, you don't even want to go on. I don't know where you are, but I do know this, that life without the Lord is just so hard. You know, I just want you to know that you, know, you coming here and you sitting through this, this Bible study... You know, I commend you for that. I do. Because I know some of you are thinking, but I want to go eat right now, and he keeps talking. <laughs> I can't end without just telling you this. 
not about you know going to church. You know, with God's children, it's about being the church. It's about being God's child. And the only way that can happen is if you give your life to Christ. And there is a hell. There is a heaven. There is a God who loved you, who made you, and who sent his son Jesus to die for you. But that's not enough. You know, you got to do your part. And what you are called to do, the Bible says, is repent. And just realize you're a sinner. And if you're here today, then maybe you know that. You know, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. But you've never really taken that step, you know, to follow him. What we want to do is, I'm just going to pray. And if you want to do that, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. And I'm going to ask you to come forward. And just stand right here, you know, just in case. You know, for all I know, maybe you're all saved. Or maybe today's not the day. But just in case you're here and you want the Lord and today is the day, I want to give you that opportunity. So we're going to have the worship band come up and just strum a couple of songs and all the rest of you guys praying. And if you're here today, you remember Jesus died for you publicly on the cross. He wasn't ashamed. And I know it might be hard for you to get up and come forward, but I tell you what, if you do, God will meet you here. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to really, truly save you. For some of you here, maybe you've been going to church for a long time and, and, you're, and you're really struggling and you're just overwhelmed and, and maybe it's because you've never really taken that step to come to Christ. And so let's pray. And if you want to receive the Lord or recommit your life to Christ, what I want you to do is to get up and you come forward. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for this time, Lord, you've given to us. And Lord, you're the only one that can save us all. And I know, Lord, that you love these people. Father, I just pray today that if there is anyone here who doesn't know you or who's been struggling and maybe they've drifted away, before they go away, before they go out into their world and, and experience things that are the same or even worse before, Lord, we just want to give that opportunity for things to be different, that you would meet them here, Lord, and that you would give them the strength and the courage to come forward and receive you as Lord and Savior of their life. So, Lord, we ask that you would do this work. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.